So happy that you guys are here. I'm excited for uh, what God has laid in my heart to share with all of you. And I just, uh, what I ask is that you just uh, stay with me here, pay attention. I'm going to try to be, try to be, try to be enthusiastic, as some of you know. It's not hard for me to do. So, but before we get started, I wanted to share uh, an opportunity that we're that we're presenting to everyone at Access um, on November. If you have the slide. Um, about Grace Adventures, on November 18, 19, and 20, we're doing a trip to Grace Adventures. And if you don't know what Grace Adventures is, it, it, Grace Adventures is, it's like a camp. But what we're using it for is we're using it for team building, we're using it for having an encounter with God, we're using it for growing closer to the people at Access, and it's also going to be a lot of fun because they have a lot of fun activities over at Grace Adventures. So what is it going to look like? Um, it's, a, it's a Saturday, it's a primarily a Saturday and Sunday event. And so in the morning we're going to start off and we're going we're gonna to dig right into the word and we're going to actually choose a verse and everyone who's there is going gonna, is gonna to study this verse and we're going to come back and we're just going to hash it out and, and ask questions and, and list some observations and we're really going to dig into how do we study the word of God. How is it that, what are different ways that we can read the Bible, process it, and learn from it? So Saturday morning we're doing that, and then we're going to have lunch. And then in the afternoon we're going to have breakout sessions where we have different people from Access who are going to lead different sessions on, on worship, on evangelism, on, you could call it creative arts, or worshiping God through your artistic and creative abilities. And we're going to have another uh, session which is undecided at this point. And so then after that, we're going to go and we're going to be able to enjoy the activities at Grace Adventures. They have like zip line, they have, and what else do they have? Who's been to Grace Adventures? Paintball. paintball. I don't know if we're doing paintball because it's going to be November, but <laughs> canoeing, kayaking, all that fun stuff. So then at night, we're going to have a big worship service. The youth, so the high school is going to be there as well. Saturday night, we're going to have a big worship service with them. And it's going to be it's going to be kind of like this where we just get to worship and then somebody's going to come and bring the word. And then Saturday night, we're going to have to have a time of fellowship and having fun. Sunday morning is going to be a time of, where we, of reflection and journaling and goal setting and, and, and what, we can do to take, what we can take away from that experience. I cannot stress enough how much fun and how valuable this time is going to be for all of us. There is a stipulation, though. We're limited to 30 spots. And so if this interests you, we want to encourage you to sign up as quickly as you can. The price of the weekend is $75, and so it's primarily a Saturday and Sunday event, but they have allowed us to comp in a Friday night, so we're having a check-in at 7 p.m. Friday night, and we're going to be casting vision and kind of giving a short, brief message and then some worship, and then we're going to have time to, to fellowship on Friday night. So it's going to be an amazing time that we get to... Um, grow together, encounter God together, and also just have fun. So I encourage all of you to think about it, uh, pray about it, if this is something that would be interest, that interests you. And if it is, if it interests you, you can go to our Facebook page. There's a link for an event, Grace Adventure, Access Grace Adventures Trip. You can click on that event, and it'll lead you to our event page, which will lead you to the link to sign up. And we'll have more details at the end of the service for that. So that's that. I want to pray before I get started. Dear God, I thank you that you're here. I thank you for Holy Spirit, who is the greatest teacher of all time. So God, 
Holy Spirit, I ask that you teach me, I ask that you teach every single person in this room the exact thing they need to be taught in this very moment of their lives. And we thank you, God, that you are God of transformation. You are God of new life. You are God of new beginnings. So I pray that over every single person in this room, and I thank you for the destinies and for the purposes and for the good things that you have planned for each individual here. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, I'm going to get right into the word this morning, or this evening, not this morning. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. I want you to stay with me here. It's, it's eight verses, so stay with me. So then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman, a Canaanite, who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Verse 23. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. How rude, Jesus. What the heck? Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. How rude, Jesus. But she came and worshipped him, worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. What an interesting encounter this woman has with Jesus. Whoa, I was thrown off. Nick never sits in the front. <laughs> He's like right there. He's throwing me off a little bit. What an interesting historical account where this woman comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, help my daughter. Jesus, help my daughter. And he doesn't answer. Jesus, help my daughter. Sorry. I'm here for Israel, not for, not for the Gentiles. Heal my daughter. Heal my daughter. Sorry, I can't give to dogs what's meant for children. <laughs> Jesus has called her a dog. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> And then she says, Jesus, but even the dogs get a crumb. Even the dogs just get a little piece of what's on the table. Jesus says, your faith is great. <laughs> but when was her faith great? Was her faith great in the beginning when, he, when she asked him at first? Or was her faith great when she asked in the, or in the middle? Was her faith great when she asked in the end? When was, that faith, when was her faith great? So the title of this message is called Pray Like a Canaanite. The reason I titled that, this me that message this way is because this woman was a Canaanite woman. And you say, well, she wasn't praying. Well, yeah, she was. She was talking to Jesus. And when we pray, we get to talk to Jesus. So it's kind of like the same thing. So I want, what I found interesting with this story is I dug deeper into the text and I really analyzed it and really studied it is that her experience with Jesus is much like our experience in our prayer life. Can I break it down for you? Yeah. 
Okay, so let's start. If you can keep that verse up, starting with verse 22, um, and then kind of follow along as I go, I'll tell you what verses I'm, I'm looking at here. So verse 22. So a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So this is us in our prayer life. We approach God respectfully. We approach him saying his names. We say, O Father who art in heaven, O God, O God, O God, O Lord Jesus, my healer. So we come him respectfully, and he, and he enjoys that. He, that's pleasing to him. But this woman did the same thing. O Lord, Son of David. So we come and we approach God, calling him by his names. But then in verse 22, we immediately feel that no one is listening to anything we say. So verse 23. But Jesus gave her no reply. Let's be honest. How many of us have prayed and we felt like we're not praying to anyone or anything? We just feel like no one's listening. Only four people. Wow. We got some spiritual powerhouses in this place. <laughs> I have, you just pray and you feel like, wow, that, that prayer didn't go anywhere. The king and that woman, <laughs> that really happened to her because Jesus was like, stiff arm. But we continue to ask, and our asking turns into begging. <laughs> Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. Verse 23 still, we keep begging until we get this thought. And this thought in the story comes in the form of the disciples. Go away. You are bothering me with all of your begging. We have this feeling that, God, that we are bothering God with our requests. We have this feeling that, that we are a nuisance or we are an annoyance to the God of the universe and that he doesn't want to hear anything that we want to present to him. It's a real feeling. Tell her to go away. That's what the disciples said. Tell her to go away. And we have those thoughts. Those are the thoughts that we have. And we continue, verse 24. Then you have another thought. God doesn't hear your prayers. He only hears the prayers of good Christians. Verse 24. I was, Jesus says, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. It's the voice that we really have. God won't answer your prayers. You're not a good enough person. You're not enough good enough Christian to, to have God answer your, my prayers. I'm just not a good enough Christian. And it's a lie. It's a lie that we have in our prayer life that our performance is dependent on God's faithfulness. It's a lie. So we continue still. Verse 25, we are so desperate to have this need met. We are so desperate with this thing in our life that's so consumed that we continue to come to God for that we decide to go to church. And we decide to go to church because we, maybe, because we think, well, God's not here for me, but maybe some godly person will be there and he'll, God will be close to them and maybe I'll just get a taste of, what, of his goodness from somebody else. Or maybe if I come and I worship, God will bless me because I'm here to worship. Just maybe, just maybe. Verse 26, but she came and worshiped him, pleading again. She came and worshiped him, pleading again. Then we have another thought. You don't belong here. 
you are not good enough to receive anything from God. You don't belong here. You don't belong in church. You don't belong in front of God, the presence of God. You don't belong here because verse 26, Jesus says, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the God, to the dogs. I am so unworthy. Why would God ever, why would ever God ever listen to me? I'm just a dog. I'm just a dog. I don't belong here. I'm not good enough to receive anything from God. And sadly, this is where most, this is where most of us will stop because we get discouraged because we have these feelings of inadequacy that, that we can't overcome because the feelings that we have and the problems that we face speak louder than the God of the universe. The visible world speaks louder than the invisible world for most of us, but God actually calls us to live by something else rather than sight. He calls us to live by faith. He says, live by faith, not by sight, because everything that can be seen is temporal. We sang it tonight. He says, I'm not gonna sing it, Jesus. How does that sound? <laughs> you are my one thing. Oh, crap. I totally ruined that. Where's Tiffany? Can you come up here, Tiffany? <laughs> Jesus, you're my one thing. Basically saying, I'm just going to summarize it. <laughs> if, I don't you, if I don't have you, I have nothing. But if I have everything and I don't have you, I have nothing. But if I have you and I have nothing, I have everything. So, yeah, all I want is you, God. All I want is you, God. All I want is you, God. Because you, because the things that we see are so temporary. The clothes that you wear, they'll be out of style in about a year. The movies that we love will be a distant memory in 10 years. Fashion changes. Cars rust. Unfortunately. Thanks to the salt in Michigan. So these feelings, they speak very loud to us, and it, and it paralyzes us in the moment where we are pleading and we're worshiping to God, and we're, we're communicating our struggles, we're communicating our emotions to him, but we can't get over the hump, we can't cross the bridge, we can't go from the, from the place of feeling inadequate to the place of feeling accepted. And what I think here is this, this, this Canaanite woman shows us, demonstrates to us how we should pray. And there's three principles, there's three P's of prayer that, that we're going to learn tonight. You'll, you'll understand why I'm laughing later on. The three P's of prayer. And I can tell you what I'm not going to give you. These three P's are not a formula. They're not a formula to get what you want. They're not a formula to input and output is your answered prayers because God will never answer your prayers at the expense of your identity. He will never answer your prayers just to move you into a place of satisfaction or I should say temporal satisfaction, temporary satisfaction because if he's only here to answer your prayers, you're gonna have another prayer, another request, another need, in a week, and you'll forget everything about how he came through in the past, and that new need will be screaming louder in your face than ever before. And I said it last week, God does not want to give you a genie in the bottle. He wants to give you a new perspective that you can filter every situation through. 
The first P is persistence in our prayers. The Canaanite woman demonstrates. <laughs> she came to Jesus, Lord, help me. Doesn't answer her. She said, Jesus, help me. <laughs> Doesn't answer. Says, sorry, I'm just here for Israel. Help me. Anybody? <laughs> I'm sorry. Some of you got that. Others, you didn't. You're just confused. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. I totally forgot where I was going. So she comes and she says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Says, sorry, I'm here just for the children. I'm not here for the dogs. And then finally she says something that gets God's attention. Finally she says something that gets Jesus to say, oh, this girl's serious. This girl's serious. This is what she replied, verse 27. That's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. She was persistent in her prayers. And that's something that we can learn from her. Because here's the problem, and I face it too. And there's so many things in our lives that we pray for, but we pray for them maybe a grand total of one time. And then they don't come true, and then we forget about them, and then we stop praying for them. And the fact is, is that God is actually putting these desires, these, these burdens on your heart to pray for something. And we pray for them one time, they don't happen, and we forget about them. But God is actually calling, to, calling us to do something. He's calling us to what Mark Batterson calls, the, he's the author of Circle Maker, to pray through. Which means to pray for something until you see it happen. That don't give up on your prayers. Don't give up on the people. Don't give up on your city. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on them. Even when it seems like it's going totally opposite of what you think it should be going, pray for him, pray for him, pray for him. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Don't take no for an answer. And the reason why we, don't we aren't persistent in our prayers is because we have a very, uh, I'll just put it this way, we're the microwave generation. We want the 30 seconds in and out mac and cheese, let's go. We want the fast food, McDonald's, if, I'm not, if I don't get this in three minutes, I'm going to storm in there and I'm getting my, my happy meal for free. <laughs> Lord help me, if I have to wait for my meal at Applebee's for more than 10 minutes, I better get a complimentary drink. <laughs> he says, preach it. No, no joke though, I love when, I, when they take my food out or it takes them a long time because I know I'm going to get like a free drink or something. I don't mind waiting. Isaiah 40, 31. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain or will renew their strength. I realize I have a different version of my Bible, so I'm going to read from here. Will renew their strength. Even youths grow tired and weary, young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. My translation says, but those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. You know, what the, you know what the place that us Christians, that us people who follow Christ should love to be in? What position we should be, love to be in? Is a position where we're waiting on the Lord. It's the most comfortable place that we should be in because we're so confident that God will come through on his promises. 
But the, what, I, what I notice is the opposite is true for myself and for other people that I've, that I've witnessed is that when we're waiting on the Lord, it's the most uncomfortable place that we can be in. And I'm calling us to change. I'm calling us to shift our perspective because we have to be able to wait on the Lord. We have to be able to, to have a prayer request and pray through it. We have to be able to take a request, take a, an, an issue in our lives and be able to press in even when it seems like nothing good can come out of it. We have to get a vision. We have to get heaven's perspective like we talked about last week and get heaven's perspective and pray that no matter what the situation is, is calling in the moment. So she didn't stop. She didn't stop. Persistent prayer is fueled by an eternal perspective. Persistent prayer is fueled by an eternal perspective. It is driven from receiving heaven's perspective on an issue or an area in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. So what do we learn? First point, the first P is persistence in our prayer. The second P is personality in our prayers. Personality in our prayer. Verse 27, so Matthew 15, 27, she replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. I love this part because this woman gets a little bit of an attitude with Jesus. Jesus is saying, Nope, can't deal with you, can't deal with you. And she says, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Lord. Even the dogs get a, uh, the crumbs that fall from the table. Hmm. Jesus is like, whoa. We got a player in the game here. We got a player in the game. And what I find, what I find is that sometimes it's hard for us to really show God our personality that we somehow think, and it's not, it's not purposeful, it's not consciously, but we somehow think that we can hide our feelings from God. And that we actually think that God doesn't actually, he doesn't want in on our feelings. That we maybe think that he's intimidated or our feelings are too big for him to handle. David is a great model for this. What I don't want to do is I don't want to encourage you to go home and yell and yell and yell at God and say how mad you are at him. That's not the purpose. But the purpose is that we can actually become so close with God. We can actually have a relationship with him where we're not afraid to bring anything to him. And that actually everything that all the emotions and all the feelings that we have, all the issues that we have, all the, all the negative experiences, we actually, he wants us to bring those to him so that he can speak into him, into them. Sorry. So Psalm 6, 1 through 10. This is David speaking. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Excuse me. 
Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayers. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. I love what David does here because he brings to God his feelings. He brings him and says, God, my bones are agony. My enemies are closing in on me. God, I'm hopeless. God, I'm hopeless. God, I'm hopeless. But then at the end, he just doesn't bring his emotions and his feelings to him. He allows God to speak into them. Because if we just come to God with our emotions and we don't expect a response in return, we're just going to be complaining. See, but we can bring our emotions, we can bring our feelings, we can bring our experiences to God without complaining. And it's not complaining that we bring them to him. He actually desires that we bring everything to him and that we filter everything through him. He desires that for us to be real with him, for us to be intimate with him, us, for us to be authentic with him. It's what he desires I think an issue is, is that we, we suppress our feelings. We suppress them and we don't ag- ever deal with them. We, we, we ignore them through busyness. We ignore them through friends. We ignore them through boyfriends and girlfriends. We ignore them through school. We ignore them through work. And we never actually deal with the issues that we're facing. We ignore them and we, people ask us, how are you doing? You say, I'm good. I'm good. Deep down, you're hurting inside. Deep down, you're broken inside. Deep down, you have so many questions. You have so many questions to God that say, God, this doesn't make sense. God, your word says this. My life experiences are saying this. Where's the disconnect? But we're never actually, we never actually become before God and say those things. We never are able to come and say, God, what the heck? What's going on here? Your word says this. This is what I'm feeling. Where's the disconnect? We hide our emotions and we pretend like everything's okay. And God is so good. He wants to enter into a place of of your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts. He wants to enter into those and he wants to affect them. But here's the deal. We limit his ability to speak into our lives by how much we're willing to expose to him. Imagine that you have a door on your heart God knocks on the door, but he never forces his way in. He knows what you're feeling, but he will never force his way in to do something about it. He's waiting for an invitation. I want to give you an analogy that that might help um, paint the picture. So, I want you to picture like a middle school girl. And every day her dad picks her up from school. Every day, her dad watches as a group of girls mock her, say rude and nasty things to her. Every day, he watches. And every day, he watches his daughter uh, enter, open the door, step into the car, and look down at the floor in sadness. Every day, he sees this. And every day, he says, baby, baby, are you okay? She says, yeah, dad, I'm fine. Every day, over and over and over again, and she suppresses it, and people ask her, how you doing, how you doing? She's like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. 
Her mom comes and says, are you, good? Are you okay, baby? Yeah, I'm good. And every day she gets mocked and ridiculed by those same group of girls. Every day she's, she's just drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled. And every day her dad's saying, baby, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. The dad sees all the, through the whole time he sees her, he sees the pain she's in, he sees what she's going through, but he can't do anything because she won't let him in. And then one day, one day this girl comes in and, and those girls say a rude thing to her. She comes in, she starts weeping and crying and crying. And she says, dad, these girls, he's saying all these things. And the dad says, he hugs her and he says, yeah, baby, I know. Baby, I know I've just been waiting for you to say something because I was never going to force my way in. You see, the father knew all along what the girl was going through, but he couldn't do anything until she let him in. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. God's never going to force his way into your business. He's waiting for an invitation for us to say, God, God, I know the right things, but I'm just not feeling it, God. Do something in me, God, because I'm, so, I'm so just confused. I'm so hurt. I'm so broken. He wants in, guys. God wants in, but he'll never force his way in. He's knocking, though. He's knocking. So, I had, I had, I had a, situation, a situation, not like that, but a situation where I had to get real with God. So, I was, it was in high school, and I went to Granville High School. I played, you know, sports. I played basketball and football. I was, I was pretty successful in it. Um, but I, and I had a little brother, and I, I honestly have only shared this with a couple people, but I'm going to share it with all of you tonight. So I was pretty successful, but my little brother, he went to Trinity, and he was two years younger than me. He was, I was pretty su- su- successful. He was very successful. Um, and I was jealous. And I felt that I had to to accomplish things in order to be better than my little brother because I was his older brother. I had to do it. I had to be better. But he, he just accomplished more. He was better. And, it, and I know it's like, and, and here's the lie. Here's, here's the issue is that the devil will try to trick you that your thought process is Ill- illogical and people will discount it. Because the reason I never shared that with anyone is because I, I thought to myself, I said, there's no reason for me to think this. I mean, I, I, I was pretty successful. I I got good grades. I mean, people will think I'm crazy if they, if they found out that I was jealous of my little brother. People will think I'm just dumb and, and selfish if they found out that I was jealous of my little brother. They would think that I was just, like, you get what I'm saying? Like, our fears and our feelings are irrational to us, and we feel that people will not confirm or they won't verify our feelings and that we'll be rejected in them. Are you following? Yeah. And so I had these feelings of, of inadequacy. And it didn't make any, people, you could look at me from the outside and you say, what, dude, come on. There's no way you should be feeling that way. And that's the, what the devil uses. He uses those things to trap us inside of our emotions because we'll never share it with anyone because we, we feel we shouldn't be feeling it. But it's a real feeling that we have, so unless we deal with it, it will never get better. And it's okay. It's okay to have those feelings. It's how you deal with the feelings is, is, is what's important. So I remember, I remember it. I was, it was in youth group and, and my youth pastor and he just, you know, I was talking to him afterwards and I just broke down. 
I think I was a senior in high school, and I remember Dylan DeGraw was right there. I don't know if he remembers it. Where are you, Dylan? Do you remember it? He remembers it. He was right there. I was like, my youth pastor was just like, it's okay, Jake. It's okay. That's not who you are. Jake, and he actually gave me a word, like a prophetic word. He said, Jake, you're an encourager. See, what actually happens most times with our lives is the feelings of inadequacy that we have, God's actually calling us into that place, the opposite of that place. So I was feeling jealous of my brother, and God was calling me to be the greatest encourager of my brother ever. So the devil is trying to use our weaknesses to destroy us, but God is saying, no, I'll take that weakness and I'll make it great. But if we don't ever deal with those emotions and those feelings with God in a, in a healthy way, they will trap us and they will destroy us. And that's something that we can learn from this Canaanite woman. She came to God and she said, listen, Jesus, this doesn't make sense. I've heard stories about you. Everyone is saying that you can heal. Everyone is saying that you cast out demons. Now you need to cast the demon out of my daughter right now. That's what she said in a different way. She said, it doesn't make sense, Jesus. She got a little fiery inside of her, and sometimes I feel that we as Christians need to be a little bit more fiery in our relationship with God. We need to be more authentic. We need to be more intimate. We need to be more real. And not pretend like everything's just grand. Try to keep up with everyone else. Keep up the image, keep up the facade. What's that gonna get us? Nothing. It's just going to get us in a deeper hole that we're going to have to crawl out of later on. Or worse yet, totally destroy us. (laughs) The beautiful thing about this being real, being authentic, the beautiful thing is that Jesus modeled it for us. Just before just before he was about to be taken to, to be nailed to the cross, to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be embarrassed, to be beaten, to unrecognizable. Before that happened, he went to the garden of Gethsemane and he was kneeling down and he was praying and he said, he, he had a moment of, of authenticity, of honesty with God. He said, God, he knew what was coming. He said, if you can take this cup from me, just take it. Jesus did that. He said, if you will just take this cup, I would really appreciate that. But in the next verses, the verse I've not, I never really focused on, it says, then the Lord sent his angels to encourage Jesus. The Lord is waiting to send angels to encourage you. He's waiting to send his Holy Spirit to encourage you. He's waiting to, to have the Holy Spirit comfort you. But the only way he can comfort us is if we admit that we're uncomfortable. The only way that he's going to come and give us peace is if we admit that, God, I have no peace. Jesus modeled it. The Canaanite woman modeled it. The third P of prayer Faith-filled <laughs> prayer. I wanted it to be a three Ps, so I thought, why not? Matthew 
25, <laughs> 27, and 28. She replied, that's true, Lord. And we've repeated this. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. So remember in the beginning I asked, when was her faith great? In the beginning, in the middle, or the end? I'm not, I'm not saying this is theology, but this is what I believe. Her faith was great when she said this, and I'm paraphrasing. She said, Jesus, I know that just a crumb of your goodness will change everything for me. I know that just a touch of your goodness can heal my daughter. I know that just a crumb from your table will change everything. And that's where we need to be in our lives. We need to be in a place where we say, you know what, God? I know what your word says. I know what the Bible says. And my life's not adding up. But I know, but I know that just a touch of your goodness can change everything. I know, God, that just a crumb of your glory will change my entire situation. I know, God, that you are so good in that you're never going to let me down. It's two song references in one sermon. Way to go, Tiff. Nice set. That's what she believed. But here's, here's the thing that me and Bobby and I were talking about just before just before service. Did she have any doubt? I guess the better question is, to have great faith, does there have to be an absence of doubt? Another question. Now, you can answer it, just scream it out, yell it out. Say it out, whatever. What is the opposite of faith? No, not what's the opposite of love. What's the opposite of faith? Doubt. Doubt. Would people agree with that? Raise your hand if you agree with that. Okay. (laughs) Tricked you. (laughs) What if I told you that the opposite of faith wasn't doubt? What if, the reason I say this is because I believe the opposite of faith was doubt my whole life. But I was listening to a sermon from Pastor Stephen Furtick, if you know who that is. Scream louder for him than for me, I'm, I'm offended. <laughs> he said the opposite, and he, this is not his, his uh, phrase, it was from somebody else, so it's like third hand experience. The opposite of faith is certainty. Like, that's ridiculous. Let me tell you, let me um, go to some scripture. Matthew 13, 58. And he did not do, talking about Jesus, many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So he went to his hometown and he came to do some, he came to just be Jesus and do miracles because that's what he did. And the people started talking. They started saying, isn't that the, uh, the carpenter's son? Isn't that the little boy who grew up here? Yeah, yeah, that's him. Yeah, that's him. Oh, he's not the Messiah. 
He can't do anything. He's just a normal person. We saw him. We, I, I changed his diaper. I was babysitting and I changed his diaper. There's no way. They were certain that he could not do anything. So, he could not do anything because of their lack of faith. What their lack of faith was, was certainty. Certainty that Jesus was not who he said he was. So let me go back to my question. Can you have great faith and still have doubt? Can you have great faith and still have doubt? I guess it's a matter of semantics. What do you define doubt as? What is doubt? But this is what I believe. Doubt. Okay, let me go by what faith is. Faith is the confidence for what we hope and the assurance of things not seen. And so faith is believing in something when you can't see it. So doubt says I can't see it, so I don't know if I can believe it. Certainty is I will not believe it unless it can be proved. The scientific community will not accept miracles. They will not accept anything because it cannot be proved. That is certainty. That is the opposite of faith. Because certainty requires substance. substance. Certainty requires logic. It requires an answer. Faith does not live by sight. Faith believes even though it cannot see. So what is doubt then? Doubt is the place where you go and you, you, you hope it's going to happen, but you're still not sure, right? How about the man in Mark 13? It's the guy, he has a set, his son is sick, and he says, Lord Jesus, can you heal my, uh, my son? And he says, I'm willing. And then the man says, if you can. Jesus says, if I can. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my doubt. So that shows me, it tells me that you can have belief and faith and still have doubt. And what I actually believe is that God can use your doubt to strengthen your faith. See, what the devil's going to say is that you're a doubter, you're a doubter, you're a doubter. How dare you doubt? You have no faith. But Jesus is saying, it's okay if you have doubt. Just step into a place where you just don't know what's going to happen and see what happens. And he wants to take you, we're talking about those levels last week on the ladder, he wants to take you from one level to the next. But how many of you know that when you're stepping into the unknown, there is still a little bit of doubt? We, we, just, we just can't certainly know that what's going to happen is going to turn out the way that we planned. But we have faith that something good just might happen. And that's what doubt is. And so God's actually using our doubt to strengthen our faith, but what the devil wants to tell you is that your doubt is killing you. And I can say your doubt can the doubt can kill us if we deal with it in the wrong way. I want to label doubt in a little bit of different light. What if doubt is just a little bit of weakness on our part? Doubt is just weakness. I want to read 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. If we were certain, 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 like we, yes, this is going to happen. This, 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 this will happen. If we could explain and define and confine God into a box, why would we ever need him? But there's a mystery to him. <laughs> there's the unknown that says, yeah, we believe. Yeah, we have faith, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm stepping forth, but I don't know what I'm stepping into right now. And it's the weakness. It's, it's, it's our human weakness. But God says, I'll take that and I'll turn it into a strength. Oh, man. That's good news to me that says, man, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be this, this person who's got like uber, uber faith. And I can, you know, I can just be a normal person and say, you know what? I do doubt sometimes, but guess what? I don't let my doubt drag me down into skepticism. Amen. My doubt is a platform to catapult me into greater faith. Hmm. That's like liberating to me that I can, I can view doubt in a different light. And I don't believe that Canaanite woman had, was, was, even though she had great faith, I don't, believe, I don't believe she lacked or she had zero doubt. I believe she had some doubt. There was, there was a part of her that said, you know what, this might not happen. But it was her only hope. It was her only answer. So she went, went for it. So the story ends with this Canaanite woman. The Lord heals her daughter of being demon-possessed. He casts out the demon. That very moment, it says, that very moment it was cast out. And I did not, I said it in the beginning, but I, I'm not highlighting this, this passage to give you a formula to have your prayers answered. I'm highlighting this passage because I, I believe it's a, it's a glimpse into the relationship and the authenticity and the intimacy that we can have with God. Because if it's all about answered prayers, then we went over it last week. We're only doing as good as our last prayer answered. Answered prayers are not a reflection of our faith. They were a reflection of God's faithfulness. We like to think that if, if things don't happen, it's, it's because of we have like a lack of faith. And I, and I do believe that there's a part that we play, but I also believe that God is faithful. Even when our prayers don't get answered, it's okay. We learn through every situation, for he causes all things to work for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So the three Ps. You need to pray with persistence. Don't give up. Pray through. Don't give up. Don't give up. Pray with personality. Don't be afraid to be real with God. Open your heart. He's knocking on your heart. Open the heart. Let him know how you're feeling. Let him know how you're doing because he will never force his way in. Number three, 
have faith-filled prayers. Not doubtless prayers, faith-filled prayers. You bow your heads with me. Bear with me here. I usually I plan how I'm going to end, but as I was planning, I I, I had a thought that God wanted to um, give me something in this moment. So, forgive me if I take a minute here. Okay. With your head still bowed, I'm going to focus in on the, on the middle part, the personality. Pray with personality. If you need to make a commitment tonight to say, you know what, I've not, I need to be real with God. I need to open up my heart and let him in because I'm dealing with some stuff that just is, is really just not pleasant. And I need to open up my heart because I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what to do. If that's you and you need to open up your heart, because he's knocking, he's knocking right now. He's waiting for you to open up. If you need to open up your heart and let him in, I want you to raise your hand right now. Anyone else? It's time that we be real with God. It's a time that we be authentic with God. So I want to pray over those people first. God, I thank you that in this very moment right now, you are comforting them. Holy Spirit, you are comforting them right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, that your presence doesn't fix our problems, but it gives us new perspective of our problems. I thank you, God, that you're going to give each person a new perspective, a new, a new light on their situations, God, and you're going to start to comfort them and, and deal with them in a way that they've never dealt with before. I thank you, God, for your presence. I thank you, God, for your love that is so unending, that is so real. We love you in Jesus' name. With your head still bowed. If, you, if you're here and you're listening to this whole thing and you, you said, you know what, I've never, I'm not right with God. I've never, I've never given my life to God. I've never, I've never said, you know what, God, I want to give you my life. Because like I said, God will never take your life. He's waiting for you to give your life to him because it's the reason you're alive. So if you've never given your life to God, if you've never said, Jesus, I want to live for you the rest of my life, I want to give you an opportunity right now. So on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Awesome. Awesome. What I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand, what I'm going to ask you to do, and it's very important, at the end of service, after we close, you need to come up to the front where we have people who are praying uh, who, people who are going to pray for, for you. Come up, find, if you're a girl, find a girl. If you're a guy, find a guy. If you have to cut in line, cut in line. Come to the front and get some prayer. They're going to walk with you in what the decision you just made. And I'm just going to pray. Dear God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for the great call and the great destiny and the great purpose you have in each individual life. I call it out of them right now in Jesus' name. And I, and I thank you, God, that you're giving them vision for their future, direction for their life. And most importantly, God, we thank you for Jesus who sustains us in every situation. We thank you he's the rock that which we're built on, that we will never be shaken because of your great love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.